Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 39. Stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever rivals a father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What would you have gained for me is given to God? He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophecy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on this crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. 
And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan, I think. Thank you. I'm working on my pace. Thank you, Mike. Next week, we get to hear that man preach. Amen. Invite all your friends. Yeah. <laughs> Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Before we jump in, while you're turning there, I noticed this morning that Cody probably has the best seat in the house. He's married to the woman who does children's message. And as soon as she got done, guess who had a cookie in his mouth? <laughs> it pays to sit up front, y'all. <laughs> this is where the cookies are. Proverbs chapter 22 will be in verse 6. So, parent, you took your children to church their whole lives. You took them to church whenever the doors were open, made sure that they went to kids' camp, youth camps, etc. You, you taught Bible songs to them. You taught Bible stories to them. But one day, they just turned their back on the church or even turned their back on Jesus. Maybe they even ended up in serious lifestyle sin. Or maybe you find yourself in any number of places on the spectrum of your child not turning out right. Maybe you've asked yourself the question, what did we do wrong? Or maybe you're just holding on, wondering if you're doing the right thing as a parent. Maybe parents find themselves feeling guilty that they did something wrong in raising their children. Worse yet, they feel that their guilt is actually rooted in the Bible. Proverbs 22, 6 in the ESV reads this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word, to study your word. Lord, to be challenged by your word. Lord, I pray if there's any parents here that are feeling the weight of this verse on their shoulders. That Lord, as we walk through the passage today, Lord, maybe they would be encouraged or maybe they would be challenged, but Lord, may you have your will and your way today as we open up this passage and open up this verse to us. Christ in your name. Amen. Once again, as we pro approach yet another passage in the book of Proverbs, 
I do need to confess once again that I was greatly helped by great scholars, um, especially Danny and Jonathan Aiken. Their work and the way that they argued for this particular approach to this proverb has been very influential on me in my, in my, uh, my presentation today. First point we want to see as we look at this verse, the first thing we need to really understand as we, as we unpack, as we come to a verse like this, is that this verse has produced a lot of guilt in parents. This verse has produced a lot of guilt in parents. This, produ- this verse has produced much shame in Christian parents because it seems to promise that if parents will start their children outright, that when they, when they are young, that when they are grown, they will continue to live the right way. On the other hand, if you don't raise your children in the right way, then they will live the wrong kind of life. The logic seems clear and straightforward from the scriptures. How your children turn out reveals whether or not you started them out right. Therefore, if you have grown children who are ungodly or did not turn out right, the obvious conclusion is that you did not raise them properly. So added to the heartache of a child not walking with the Lord is the biblical condemnation of your parenting. You blew it. You are the one who messed up. But is that really what Proverbs 22.6 teaches us? Some propose a solution to this apparent dilemma to try to resolve this problem for Christian parents. The solution, they say, is that Proverbs 22.6 is not a promise, but rather a general rule of thumb. One scholar named Tremper Longman says of this proverb, It sounds like a promise, but a proverb does not give a promise. The book of Proverbs advises its hearers in ways that are most likely to lead them to the desired consequences if all things are equal. It is much more likely that a child will be a responsible adult if trained in the right path. The point is that this proverb encourages parents to train their children but does not guarantee if they do so the children will never stray. Thus, the argument goes, all things being equal, the usual outcome of life will be that if you raise a child in the right way, they will live the right kind of life, but that's not always the case. So can we fix the problem and ease our consciences by saying that this proverb is not a promise? Uh, Aiken and, and now I find this approach to Proverbs and really any portion of scripture to be extremely problematic. Nowhere else would we say of a biblical passage that it is mostly true, but not always true. We would never say that call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved is mostly true, but not always true. Now, scholars like Dr. Longman would strongly urge us to take into account the, the, um, the, the genre of biblical literature, that wisdom literature, like Proverbs, has their own set of rules when it comes to interpretation. But is that even correct? Would we want to say that if we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, do not lean on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge him, that we will usually, that he will usually direct our paths? Are we already... Uh, As we've already seen in previous weeks, the better way to understand Proverbs 
um, is that the promises of the book are generally true now, but are always ultimately true. You can count on these Proverbs as promises. So what do we make of this specific verse then? Does it mean that if I do right by my children now by taking them to church, reading the Bible to them, leading them in their prayers, that I am guaranteed that they will turn out right? Does it mean that if my children do not turn out right as adults, that somehow it's my fault because I did not train them right? What if it's too late? And I didn't start them out right in the first place, and now they're grown. While this verse is a promise, I believe the, the, the accepted understanding is based on a bad interpretation that showed up in the translation. We need to see that Proverbs 22.6 is actually the reverse side of a promise. And here's what we mean. Secondly, today we'll, we see that this verse is a warning to correct your children. This verse is a warning to correct your children. There's a different way to understand Proverbs 22.6 that I have found to be extremely helpful. Instead of being a promise that if you do right, your children will turn out right, it's a reverse promise, or rather a warning, that if you do not correct your children when they are wrong, when they're young, excuse me, they will run amok wanting their own way as an adult. A quick online search will show that almost every English translation translates this verse very similarly. However, according to Aiken and other scholars like Bruce Waltke and Richard Clifford, most English translators add a word that is not in the original language. The English says something like, train up a child in the right way, or as my ESV reads, the way he should go. The words right or should are actually not in the Hebrew. Since the word way does not have a descriptor or a qualifier, it reads a little bit awkwardly in English. So the translators have done their best to provide a textually appropriate word to aid in the interpretation. However, I think that it is best to leave the text as it is. Literally rendered, then, this verse reads, Train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So literally it reads, Train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This translation is preferable for a number of reasons, as we will see. However, up front, one important point worth noting is that the way most translations would render the passage places the blame on the parents for their children's misbehavior. In the rest of the book of Proverbs, the son makes his own wise or foolish choices and is accountable for them. For example, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, the young man is accountable for how he interacts with the gang of his peers or whether or not he receives the advances of the immoral woman. Now, I want to be careful here. I want you to know that you can absolutely trust your translations. 99% of the time, translators have given us a great advantage by accurately bringing the text into our language. 
But we must also remember that translators are humans who bring to their translations their own set of ideas as to how complex languages ought to be translated and rendered. Most of the time, you'll, you'll not run into issues like we find in our text this morning. But occasionally, we do bump into issues that must be addressed. I want to be clear that my attempt this morning is not to bring distrust to your translations, but rather to bring to light what I believe God placed in the original languages for a reason. You may disagree with this particular approach, and that's fine. I'm also a finite human. But I hope that as we look at this passage together, we will be able to come to a better understanding uh, of this passage, which has been the source of much parental grief. This leads us to another interpretive question. If we take the literal translation, train up a child in his way, what does that mean? Right? We Generally, we kind of have had an understanding of the previous way of reading it, but now coming up with a new way of reading it, train up a child in his way, what does that actually mean? There are basically two approaches that, that scholars will take to this question. First is to argue that this passage encourages parents to raise their children according to his or her nature or bent. Each child is different, and thus, parents must become an expert on each one and figure out the best way to communicate and teach each one. This is a perfectly acceptable interpretation, but... It's not the one that best fits the flow of Proverbs, a book which says that our nature is broken. Proverbs teaches that foolishness is in our hearts and it needs to be corrected. Waltke points out that each of the six other references to youth in Proverbs characterize the youth's way as foolish. The clear message of Proverbs is that following your heart or your own way is the epitome of foolishness. Doing what is right in your own eyes leads to death in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. Proverbs teaches that God gives young people to parents who are supposed to correct this condition. So the best way to interpret Proverbs 22, 6 is that it is sort of sarcastic, really, is what, what this proverb is intending, is there's kind of a sarcasm that at, that's added here. Clifford argues that essentially, it is telling us that if we let our children have, our own, have their own way when they are young, that when they're old, they will continue to insist on having their own way. He will continue on that dead end road when he grows up. Thus, the verse is a is the flip side of a promise. It is a warning that parents must correct their children's foolish character before it is set. Children left to their own devices will destroy themselves. Two other Proverbs actually help us see why this is the right interpretation in the flow of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound to the heart of a young. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. And 19 verse 15 states, A rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a youth left to himself is a disgrace to his mother. 
Children do not have to be taught to do wrong because it's already in their hearts, but they do need to be corrected and shown what is right. My 21-month-old knows the difference between being good and being naughty. He knows what I mean when I tell him no. But my 21-month-old also gets pleasure out of testing how serious I am about that no, as many parents can attest. We put a gate around our Christmas tree. The very first thing he wanted to do, he woke up that morning, saw the tree, saw the gate. What's the first thing he did? Took a toy and stuck it in the gate. Immediately. It didn't take him long. We were very clear with him that, that, is not, that he is not allowed to do that. One particular instance, after disciplining him for disobeying us for about the 15th time that day about that particular issue, he was disciplined for his actions. Immediately after, with tears still in his eyes, he stared right at me with a toy in his hand, reached back, and dropped it in the gate. Now, has he ever seen me deliberately disrespect charity like that? I can tell you that he did not. Where did he get that type of behavior? He has a sinful nature. All of our children have sin natures. You don't have to teach your child to pull, to pull their sister's hair or to shove someone who takes their toy. They already have a tendency towards such behavior, a tendency called sin. All people need discipline and correction to do right. And you and I will harm our children if we do not correct them. Proverbs 29.15 implies that directing and correcting your children will take different forms over time. Spanking and reproof, for example. Spanking can be the only way to get through to a young child because sometimes all of the reasoning in the world will not help. An ancient Egyptian proverb said of young boys that they have ears on their backsides. A study at Calvin College actually shows that kids spanked between the age of two and six actually earned better grades in school and had a sunnier outlook on life. Now let's be clear. There is no room for the abuse of children. None. However, a verbal reprimand almost always works better as children age. And they should be able to heed a verbal rebuke as they grow in maturity. The main point is clear. Proverbs says that left to themselves, children will choose the wrong and destructive path. Human beings are not innocent. Human beings are not basically good. Human beings are not basically wise. The parental task is to intervene before folly is set and our kids walk off toward hell. Leaving your young child to make their own decision without correction from you is foolish. Leaving teens of the opposite sex alone together is 
foolish. Letting a four-year-old have his way all the time is foolish. We are to heed the warning of Proverbs 22, 6. Don't leave your children to their own way or you might watch them march straight into hell. Proverbs 22, 6 speaks clearly against the buddy parent philosophy that so many are trying to follow. If you allow your child to be self-centered now, they will be later. You have to say no sometimes, many times. If you let your children have their way without correction, it will be hurtful to them and to you. You have to discipline. You have to hold them accountable. You cannot say yes all the time. They don't need to always get their way. I know that the world says that repressing things is harmful to them, but the world's wisdom is foolish. We are constantly inundated with parenting advice through social media. Often we are too easily convinced by the wisdom from the world, which isn't really wisdom, and neglect rather the the clear teaching of Scripture. Rest assured, when the article you find about parenting on Facebook disagrees with Scripture, it is not because Scripture is outdated and irrelevant. No, it is because the article is actually foolish. God knows better about the proper way to raise children because he is the one who created them. God knows that children must be corrected that children need to hear the word no, that teenagers need to be given guidelines if they want to continue living at your house rent-free. I can tell you after nearly a decade of working with parents and teenagers that along with the glorious grace of Jesus, that godly biblical parenting that started early makes the most difference between a teenager who could care less about their walk with Christ and a teenager who loves and pursues Christ even when no one expects them to. The main point of Proverbs 22.6 is that the parental task is to intervene and correct your children's foolishness before it becomes set later in life. If we do not, the result will be disastrous in all kinds of ways. It will lead to selfishness, relational issues, impulse control problems, an inability to submit to a boss's authority, and unwillingness to accept the consequences of actions. In my study, I stumbled across an interesting set of rules attributed to the Houston Police Department. These are the 12 rules for raising delinquent children. So if you want to raise a delinquent, These are the 12 rules that you should follow. Begin with, rule number one, begin with infancy to give the child everything he wants. In this way, he will grow to believe that the world owes him a living. Rule number two, when he picks up a bad word, laugh at him. This will make him think he's cute. It will also encourage him to pick up cuter phrases that that will blow off the top of your head later. Rule number three, never give him any spiritual training. 
Wait until he's 21 and then let him decide for himself. Number four, avoid the use of the word wrong. It may develop a guilt complex. This will condition him to believe later that when he is arrested for stealing a car, that society is against him and that he is being persecuted. Number five, pick up everything he leaves lying around. Books, shoes, clothes. Do everything for him so that he will be experienced in throwing all the responsibility on others. Rule number six, let him read any printed matter he can get his hands on. Be careful that the silverware and drinking glasses are sterilized, but don't worry about his mind feasting on garbage. Rule number seven, quarrel frequently in the presence of your children. This way, they will not be too shocked when the home is broken up later. Rule number eight, give the child all the spending money he wants. Never let him earn his why should he have to have things as tough as you did? Rule number nine, satisfy his every craving for food, drink, and comfort. See that sensual desire is always gratified. Denial may lead him to harmful frustration. Rule number 10, take his part against neighbors, teachers, and policemen. They are all prejudiced against your children. Rule number 11, when he gets into trouble, apologize to yourself by saying, I never could do anything with him. And rule number 12, prepare yourself for a life of grief because you'll surely have it. Third, today we see this verse tells us our children's greatest need is the good news about Jesus. Your child's greatest need is the good news about Jesus. Our role as parents is not simply behavior modification that will turn our children into Pharisees or reveal or, or rebels, excuse me, or rebel, rebels when the bribes for good behavior and threats toward bad behavior go away. No, ultimately, Proverbs 22.6 demonstrates that our children's greatest need is the good news about Jesus. Our goal for our children is life transformation through Jesus. Proverbs is clear that discipline is evangelism. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 says, don't withhold discipline from a youth. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and you will rescue his life from Sheol. Discipline is a rescue mission. We are to step in and rescue our kids from hell and the path that leads there. If we do not correct our children, they will not recognize their sin or that they will be held accountable. A laissez-faire attitude toward discipline is not grace, but is actually deadly. Loving discipline shows our children that there are consequences and accountability for sinful actions. And it demonstrates that there is a standard of right and wrong, one that they have fallen short of, and thus they need a savior. Discipline is not simply meeting out punishment. It's an opportunity for a gospel conversation. 
We want to avoid moralism in favor of gospel-driven discipline where you talk to your child in the discipline moment, confessing that your love for them is unconditional as God's love for them is, and that you are a sinner in need of God's grace as much as they are. Jonathan Aiken explains that when he disciplines his children, he identifies with them, that he knows what it's like to be selfish, frustrated, or angry. And that is why that he is so thankful for Jesus who offers forgiveness for our sins. Even now when I discipline Curtis, I try my best to make the gospel, to make the gospel clear. I tell him that sin deserves punishment, but thankfully the ultimate punishment was taken by Jesus. If you have grown children, as many of you do, if you have grown children and you think it's too late to get through to them because of how royally you messed up, perhaps the best way you can start showing them the gospel is by confessing your sins of parent, in parenting to them. Appeal to them for forgiveness and express to them your confidence in the mercies of God. Such action might actually go a long way in bringing healing and transformation. Proverbs 22.6 should not cause guilt in parents as much as it should cause vigilance. We are not to be buddy-buddy with our kids in the way the world says. We are on a rescue mission where we must lovingly correct our children because there is foolishness in their hearts. So let us heed the warning of Proverbs 22.6 and graciously correct our children so that in glory we can say with the Lord Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, here I am with the children God gave me. As we move into our time of invitation, wherever you are in the spectrum, if you think it's too late, your children are too far gone, Maybe there's some repentance that needs to be done before the Lord and then there's some repentance that needs to be done towards your children. And take that as an opportunity to share the gospel with them if you haven't already to share it with them once again. Or maybe you have children and you're, you're struggling to hold it all together and you're not sure if you're doing things right. We need the Lord's help. Every step of the way, we need to trust Scripture and the way that Scripture guides us to raise our children. Whatever the case is, maybe you need to spend some time with the Lord at the altar this morning. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're hearing this and you're saying, I was never shared the gospel. No one ever told me that Jesus died for my sin and that I can be saved from my own foolishness because of what Jesus has done. If that's you, I would urge you, do not leave this place today without having talked to someone. You can come and talk to me either during the invitation or after the service. I would love to share with you how you can know for sure that you have salvation in Jesus Christ. However the Lord is working on your heart, I pray that you would respond as he would have you respond. 
Let's pray as we speak in our invitation. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you've given us this passage that, Lord, ought not to produce guilt, but rather push us forward to be vigilant in how we raise our children, to be very intentional and gospel-centered in how we raise our children. Lord, there's someone here who is feeling guilt or is having regrets Lord, we know that your mercies are great and that your grace is sufficient. Lord, I pray that we would give that guilt to you and Lord, instead, use it as an opportunity to share the gospel with our children that we feel like we've messed up with. Lord, if there is someone here who is who, Lord, they know that they have raised their children according to your word, Lord. I pray that they would use this as an opportunity to once again praise you. Praise you that they were able to take the advice of your word and to walk in wisdom in that area. Lord, I pray whatever it is that you're laying on our hearts right now, that we would respond to you as your Holy Spirit would have us respond. In your name, amen.